Hello and welcome to another episode of Unboxing Fulfillment, the modern B2C fulfillment podcast, where we discuss common fulfillment operation challenges and how to fix them. Our guest today is Simon Ricosi, the COO and co-founder of Butterfly AI, an employee feedback solution that boosts engagement with frontline workers to increase retention and productivity. Simon, welcome. Thank you, Harry, for having me. One of my favorite topics, because labor management, labor is what we use in the warehouse. It's our most expensive asset. It's our biggest expense, and it can be even more expensive in times like today. So our listeners are really anxious to hear more, so we'll dive in. First, tell our listeners a little bit about Butterfly AI and why you decided to start the company. Yeah, of course. So in short, we beat Butterfly to provide a data-driven approach for managers to get real-time feedback initiate conversations with their teams and really strengthen their leadership skills. And if I have to go into more simple terms, we are the employee feedback platform for the frontline workforce, or we can say that we are giving a voice to the part of the workforce that is often considered voiceless. The one thing I would add as well, you talk about a cost, we like to say that labor is really about an investment, because if you nurture it well, you're going to reap the fruits more in the long term. Back in our minds, it's really about an investment rather than a cost. Right. Well taken. Absolutely correct. One of your company's focus industries is logistics and warehousing. What's your take on how well logistics leaders are managing frontline labor? Talk about some common mistakes. And are they trying and failing to get workers engaged? Your opinion and the engagements you have, are they just not really trying? So I think there's a lot of goodwill. A lot of people want to do it, but they have challenges for doing it well. One of them is really about investments. And the second is like the pace of the industry. And over the past three dog years, as we like to call them, everything has to move faster and faster and faster. So it's really hard to really take the time to do it well. Another thing that have changed over the past few years is the way to hire talent. I used to have like a lot, actually you can see that again, like when you're on the road, hiring workers right now, but a lot of the approach lately has been tempted to hire as well. So working through agencies and then having people work for a couple of months, sometimes a couple of years, then bringing them full time. But when you do that, the challenge is how do you really instill the culture of the company? Because you're not really in charge of the recruitment. It's more of a trial period, right? You have people like giving you a batch of people and say, okay, you're all going to work for this company today. And whoever works well, the company wants to keep. So I think the goodwill is there. The infrastructure is sometimes lacking a little bit. So if you want to do it well, it takes time, it takes resources, but most importantly, you want to make sure that there is full transparency in the process from the employee telling them like, hey, we care about what you have to say, and this is how we do it, to the supervisors, ops manager to say, hey, we're going to implement a solution for you to know what is happening. Or if you're a very talented person that speaks 10 plus languages, we invite you to walk the floor and do it in person. Because I think this industry is facing a lot more challenges than people sitting behind a desk. It's about the ratios, employees to managers, I think it's one to 25 on average, whereas in an office it's one for six. Languages, it's not uncommon that if you go to a customer of ours, they speak more than sometimes 15 languages in one location. And people don't speak like at the managerial level, they often just speak English and sometimes Spanish, but they don't speak all 15 of them. So you have a lot of more challenges if you want to implement a really good system in place, because if you do it, you want to be as inclusive as possible. And you cannot say, hey, we have this system in place, but you have to speak English in order to use it. Wow. I don't think my company is unique in the utilization of temps. You're right. At any one point in time, there are no less than 30% of the workforce is temporary. Obviously, we have reasons that it's that way. I don't think they are by design. I think they are more the result of the system. And it sounds to me like 
you don't support the attempt to hire, which is ostensibly, yes, that's what's going on in my company, companies I've worked for in the same industry. It's always been attempt to hire, but that's not really the right philosophy or structure to have today, is it? Yeah, maybe I have to retract back. It's not that I don't support it at all. If it works for the company, that's what they have to use, but we have to consider it, right? Especially when you ask questions. If you ask questions about your manager for a temp worker, who's the manager for them? Who is paying the paycheck? Sometimes, and we have that with some customers, where actually we have the temp workforce as well as a full-time workforce. And when we go through quick questions and quick feedback collection, they're actually not answering about the company, but they're answering about the temp agency. And often the responsibility of the temp agency is to staff, to deploy, I would say, the people working for them. But then the day-to-day is really managed by the company. So it's a bit of the conflict of, okay, my manager is actually my dotted line because they're not the ones deciding my paycheck. However, the people I have to impress is my dotted line because they're going to define whether or not I can to stay here longer. So it's all about a juggling act because we are well aware. Right? There are some states where you have to have co-employers. You cannot do it direct to hire. It's much more complex as well. So I think it's really important to always keep that in mind. I don't think there's one way better than the other. We just have to make sure that if we deploy it, we are as inclusive as possible. And that's why I say about almost the allegiance. Like Some companies don't want to deploy a solution like ours because they're like, okay, 50% of the workforce is temp, but we don't want to have any legal obligations to them. Right. That can happen as well. Whereas if you deploy something and your structure is cool to go temp to hire, these temp workers have the wealth of information for you. Like they're going to talk about your onboarding experience. They're going to talk about their first 90 days and they can actually give you a wealth of information how you can make things better. But if you exclude them for legal reason, you're never going to hear from them. And then all of a sudden, they've been three months at the company, you hire them full time and then you're going to be surprised by what they have to share for the first time. And you won't have much time to actually fine tune, especially the first 90 days. And you know, it takes around 90 days to ramp up somebody to be fully productive. So these 90 days are very important for you to know what you can do better so that you can shorten the cycle for the future, but as well, like you can hit the nail on the head moving forward. We spoke a little bit earlier and turnover in the warehousing industry, according to the BLS, is over 50%. Yeah. So when companies reach out to your firm, what are some of the problems and frustrations that they're experiencing they're asking you to help with? Of course. So- I think what has been transpiring over the past year, especially is bottom line. Like what can we do to make a better bottom line while caring for the people without pressing them too much? So the part that really impact the bottom line are of course turnover, but let's not forget about absenteeism. Let's not forget about the quick quitting effect, people like leaving within the first 90 days. Unfortunately, the supply chain industry is a pro in that field, but there is as well like safety incidents. Like when somebody is injured, they cannot come to work. You still have to pay disability. You have to pay for the care. So it really depends. But I would say the number one reason is turnover because over the past year, two years, people are really understanding the price of turnover. It costs around $30,000 to replace an employee. It takes 90 days for that to be ramped up. So all the investment that you do, if you don't have a good onboarding experience, if you don't retain your talent, then you have to go back at it and recruit more people. It's interesting. I'm making a note here because historically we've used 10,000 and I'm a little gun shy about using 10,000 as the replacement cost. I agree with you. It's significant for a lot of reasons. I'm not going to be afraid to use 30,000 at this point, but by doing that, right, it opens up a lot of doors. When you understand the true cost of turnover, now you have a true expense that you say, okay, I've got a goal now. My turnover could be at 30000 an employee, a million dollars is not out of the realm of what it costs many companies and, and upwards and replacement costs. So I guess if you think about that number, some of the programs that maybe you can talk about that you wind up, I would say, implementing or recommending to another company to reduce that cost, 
bottom line gets increased when that cost gets decreased and employees work more productively. Maybe we can talk a little bit about that. Yeah. I remember my accounting teacher in business school told us, understand your cost, understand your business. If you know where the money goes, where the money is spent, then you have a full picture. And the other example he used that if you have two buckets, one of boiling water and one of cold water, if you have two feet in them, it doesn't mean that you're in lukewarm water. So what we want to understand is how do we make sure that we understand across the whole business what the costs are so that we can make the right investments. So we have some customers that went through very expensive changes, others that went through very inexpensive ones. And both of them actually paid dividends. So I'll take one example. We have a customer where people actually complained uh, or more like was the, the feedback that they'd never had to interact with the manager. So just so you know, interaction and recognition from the manager is one of the number one reasons why people leave their job in supply chain. So by just understanding that, hey, well, I don't see my manager, people don't care about me. If I leave tomorrow, it doesn't matter. Actually, it matters a lot. So for this customer in this facility, what they just did was they started to ask supervisors and ops manager to just walk the floor. Make sure that you walk the floor, make sure that you greet people, say, hey, Harry, how are you doing? Just try to get to know the people. That's quite easy to do, right? Quite inexpensive. By just doing this small change, they actually saw a jump in productivity because then people started to have conversation on the floor. The other thing that they saw is that over six months, they decided to see a drop in turnover. Why would you leave a place where people care about you, right? If I feel that I'm liked, if I feel that I'm appreciated, I'm going to stay longer. So that's, I would say, on the very inexpensive end. My challenge is, probably like many others, my Spanish is terrible. Como esta? Maybe that would start a conversation and that would end the conversation for me. The majority of my associates do not speak English. The majority of them are Hispanic and Spanish speaking. Yeah. And you're right. Engagement is key. And for many of these people that we hire, to your point, we were talking earlier, many of them come directly from overseas and don't even speak English. So I'm going to struggle to strike up a language. Fortunately, we do try to hire now going forward bilingual management, not always so easy to do. And I agree with you. That's an important element. How do we overcome that? Those of us who are trying to connect but cannot. It's a very interesting point that you bring because I think the supply chain industry as a whole is one of the only industry in the US where you have this challenge. Now, with Butterfly, when we thought about the product, that was one of the first challenges of customer gave us. Like, hey, how do I interact with people and make them feel comfortable if they don't speak English? So today our platform covers 50 plus languages. People can respond to their own language and then we take up the translation for the managers. On top of that, we deliver feedback, we deliver comment, even if it's anonymous, you can actually strike a conversation with them. You don't know who they are, but you can have a conversation. And actually I have a really good example of one of our customers that saw a jump in productivity of around 15%, which is not too bad in a, quite a short time period. And what happened was one of the employee that was freshly coming from overseas, didn't speak English, took the job because it was one of the only jobs he could get in the area, did not speak a lip of English, actually was an industrial engineer back home. And through the platform, one of the questions was, do you have the right tool and material to execute your job well? And he gave a low rating and then he wrote a comment. And then the supervisor and the manager interacted with the comment and said, hey, I'd love to find out more. If you're open to it, I don't know who you are, but just come to our office and let's have a conversation. He came to the, the office. He had another employee next to him that could translate. And what they found out was this employee was actually an industrial engineer back home. And he did exactly the same job as an office manager. And the recommendation he had was literally how to reorganize the floor plan. Because the way they were having the stock and the pallets and all of that compared to the triaging machine, for example, where we're not really optimized. And they spent a week to just listen to him, have a conversation with him back and forth, reorganize the floor plan. And without doing 
that more than that, they just stopped production, I think it was around 24 hours, just to reorganize a few things. They started to see production ring, ramping up. And without a platform like Butterfly, or without a platform with people where people could express themselves, they would have never found it out, right? Like the person would just have done their job. They don't feel they would be invited to leave their feedback. And just like that, he spoke up, they worked on that, but he felt value, but that had a really another really positive impact among all the other employees. Oh, this employee said something. They listened to him. More importantly, that they did all the changes based on his recommendation. Wow, I can make a difference. Because often when people do this type of work, they just feel like a number as part, a clog in the wheel, right? So the other thing that we say is like, it's very important for people to understand the purpose and where they fit in the big picture. If you tell someone all day long, you're going to be putting boxes on a line, or you're going to fit boxes on the line so that the barcode can be read by the scanner. That's not really inspiring. If you start to tell them, well, thanks to you and thanks to all the work you've done, you help your team achieve 110% of the team's objective today. And altogether, we manage to reach the million boxes within these six months. It's all about feeling valued. So from a person who was just flipping boxes because the manager said, hey, you got just flip the boxes to flip the boxes so that we can achieve this number together. And this is how it fits in the big picture. People feel very valued. And that's what happened with this employee. He felt valued because he felt hurt, and then all the other employees saw that he could actually have an impact. This is great. So we've been talking about, we started turnover. At 50% plus, it's everybody's biggest challenge. And then the biggest challenge is, okay, why do I have turnover, right? And when you have a workforce that we struggle to communicate with, what does that process look like where you can tell me for sure, why I have 50% turnover. Can we talk about that process, how your company gets involved in that? Yeah, of course. So more than 50% annual turnover. And if you delve more into the numbers, you'll see that around 60% of that turnover happens within the first 90 days. And actually even the majority of that happens within the first month. And one of the bigger drivers is because people have expectation of the work. And when they meet the work, it has nothing to do with the expectation they had. And this is where it gets complicated when you do co-employment, right? Because they get hired by a company that has to staff. Like a staffing agency have to fill a certain amount of headcounts. So they're not going to spend the time and the passion that, hey, this is the work and this is how it matters. Now, what you want to make sure is when they start, the work that they're doing is exactly what they expect to do. So Butterfly has a lot of different ways how we do that. So first thing is a very standard pulse survey. We send a couple of questions weekly, bi-weekly, even daily for some customers. We provide the insight directly to the managers and the employee's experience is very simple. You can just clock in, you get a text message. We are just embedded in a system that you use every day. Together with a customer, we decide where it makes the most sense because asking people to go to a computer is not going to work. Let me just interrupt a second. So you're sending surveys directly to the frontline associates? Yes. And you're doing this on an ongoing basis. It's not one and done. It's not one and done. Either they have to perform something or it's timestamps like every Thursday, every other Thursday, or the other part is actually following the employee experience. Or it's after a month. How was your onboarding for the first 90 days? After a week, have you had a chance to meet your manager? On your birthday, happy birthday. So we have a lot of triggers that will just remind the employee that the company cares for them. Now, when we collect the insight, we make sure we give all of that in a very comprehensive dashboard that is not overcomplicated. It's going to be number, colors, and shapes. So that when a manager, even a supervisor, look into the dashboard, in an instant, they know exactly how every single team they manage are doing and what are the areas where they have to focus on. An example, if we ask questions about, let's say, transparency. Transparency is very broad, right? It's either I know what's happening or the other way is that people are telling me what is happening. So in a quick instance, if you see that transparency score is low, 
and you look into your dashboard, we can tell you, well, people don't have access to the information. Oh, that's a very easy fix. Why don't you have a whiteboard? I think all the warehouses today have screens, just show the communication on the screen. But sometimes it can be more complex than that. My manager score is low. Okay, is it because I'm not reliable? Is it because I'm not available? Is it because people don't see me? Or is it simply because people don't know what I expect of them? So we try to give all that information directly to the hands of the managers or the supervisors. And they say, if you manage a site with 600 people, we're going to give you the breakdown for every single team. So as you can see that, oh, Simon's team is actually having a challenge about him being reliable, whereas actually the team of Evelyn is striving because they feel that they're aware of everything that is happening. So we don't only show you what's not working, we show you what is working really well, because what we want ultimately is for managers to speak together at the site level and for you to do the best use cases. This episode is sponsored by Amware Fulfillment. Amware is a third-party fulfillment company that provides pick, pack, and ship services to established direct-to-consumer brands. With fulfillment centers in every region of the U.S., Amware supports one- to two-day ground delivery to 95% of the country. In short, Amware takes care of everything after the click. Learn more at AmwareFulfillment.com. We used to do those surveys fairly often. I'm saying we structured them, right? You know, we did the best we could. We thought we knew something. Hey, we're a people business, right? Our greatest investment is people. It's half of the total investment in the company on an annual basis. We're hearing things related to pay and maybe work conditions. And then you become a little gun shy about doing this because you're afraid the feedback is going to be there. And now you're looking to reduce your cost. All of a sudden, employees are pushing back and saying, hey, we want more money. But I guess we didn't do it properly is what I would say, because to your point, it's not about the money mainly, correct? Correct. So if you think about what is top of mind for employees, pay is top of mind, compensation is top of mind, work-life balance is top of mind, yes. However, they're not correlated with attrition. They're just top of mind. So to quickly answer your question, when people say that pay is not enough, there is two ways to approach it. I put my hand in the sand, I don't answer to anything. Or there's the approach of, we're not going to get a pay raise because this year we didn't hit the numbers. Or we're going to evaluate having a pay raise in six months. So it's very important like when people have qualms, when people have some challenging feedback, is to acknowledge the feedback. That's literally the golden rule. You tell me, I appreciate you telling me, this is why we cannot do it. Rather than just saying no, no pay raise for you. I can tell you the person will ask it over and over and over again. If you give like a clear response, even like in a town hall, hey, we're not going to review pay for this year because the macroeconomics are not working in, the, in our favor because we lost the biggest account. Just treating people like adults by giving transparent information, they'll be able to move on to something else. Now, if you want to focus on what is actually really influencing attrition, it's really about the emotional needs of employees. The first one is to feel fairly treated and respected. You are not a number, your name is Simon, and you're a picker. The second one is to feel valued and appreciated. Simon, thank you so much for showing up today. Thanks to you, the whole team achieved X percent of the objective is to do meaningful and enjoyable work. So meaningful, what does it mean? It's all about perspective. If you understand what you think in the big picture, it becomes meaningful. If you're just in your little corner and all you do all day long is flipping boxes, then it's not meaningful. But to understand that thanks to me, I make the life of everybody easier down the line, oh, what I do is meaningful. And the last one is about relationships with your manager, with your colleague next to you on the line and the rest of the company. Because most often than not, people come together to work. A lot of them have to enjoy the people they go with to work. They're going to share lunch together. And lunch, when you think about it, it's literally the moment where you're allowed to not think about work. So some location will refuse for you to have their phone. 
So employees cannot have their phone even in the cafeteria. So who do you interact with? You interact with your other colleagues. So you have to enjoy who you're with. The second thing is your manager. I think there was a study that came out that actually a manager is, has the same or if not more weight on the, I'll say like on the mental health of an employee compared to a spouse or a life partner. And if you think about it, it makes sense because one of the activities you do most with your life partner is sleep. You share bed, you sleep, you wake up, and then most of the day during the week, you are at work or they are at work. So you're going to be spending more time in the workplace than you will do awake in your home with a significant other. So that's why the role of the manager is very important. So another thing I will bring to you is you said you don't know if you did it well or not when you ask this feedback and this uh, questionnaires and this survey. Often this survey was thought that it should be owned by the leadership, should be owned by HR. HR will go through the data and then maybe HR will give the information directly to the managers. What we think about at Butterfly is that because the manager is owning so much from the day to day, they should know firsthand what is happening. And then HR should be accessory. HR should know what is happening. HR should have a control room. Yes. But the people that would have the tangible impact are your supervisors and are your managers. So when we build this, the platform was all about how do we expose these managers firsthand of what is happening? It sounds like you're going to give me a good health check on my workforce through the survey. So you'll tell me exactly pretty much what the feelings are of my associates, what's critical to them. And I would assume as part of that, you're going to tell me how to address that. Is that a fair statement? Yeah. So we do our best to do that. So frontline supervision, critical. Yeah. How does the program work with frontline supervision? Do I get an assessment of my frontline supervisors or do I get a program? Because to your point, it's critical. I agree with everything you've said there. It resonates very well with me. Yes. They make or break everything. They don't work for me. They work for their immediate supervisor. Yeah. Does Butterfly AI tailor a program to frontline supervision or how does that work? The way it works is very simple. We expose the managers and the supervisors of what is happening in real time. And because the whole platform is transparent, there is no way to hide behind it. So for example, you at the very top will be able to see the activity of every single manager's. You can see who connects, who doesn't connect, who responds to comments, who doesn't respond to comments. So we create accountability on the manager side and the supervisor side. The platform includes as well a component about tips. So we look through the data and we can provide you some easy bite-sized content for you to read so that, oh, acknowledgement is an issue and about acknowledgement is to be recognized. Here, we're going to serve you with a quick tip that says, why is it important for you? Because we are of the school of thought that people are smart. They're just not exposed to the right information. The other thing I would add, and that is very important, supervisors being critical for what they do on the floor, try to promote from within. So today it's very easy. Actually, the easiest position to hire outside are managerial positions because it's going to be expensive to do the process in-house. It's going to take longer. Whereas you can literally go to the warehouse next door, poach one of the supervisor, offer maybe a better package, better responsibilities, and people will switch. However, if you promote from within, you do a lot of great things. First, you're going to show the employees that there is no glass ceiling. Because one thing is that if people feel there is no future for them, why would they stay there? Because every single supervisor comes from the outside. I'm not saying that all of them should be coming from within. Some of them come from outside because they bring knowledge, they bring diversity as well. But if you promote from within, you show that to the employees. Second, that means the supervisors know the work. Not only the work about the world of supply chain, they know the work for your warehouse. They know the downfall of it. They know that, oh, yeah, people are spending half an hour because they have to spend half an hour to go to the bathroom on one hand of the warehouse. So they're going to be much more equipped to be 
I would say even more humane to some extent because they know how the work is and how long it takes to do it. And often it's easy to recruit outside. And the one thing we hear nonstop is, oh, we just hired that GM or that FM from Amazon because Amazon does it well. Well, Amazon has a whole system of buzz and whistles. Often you have one or two GMs or FMs per locations. It's a nonstop shop. And it's all about efficiency. But if you're a smaller scale, efficiency will begin by having the right type of workers working for you. If you look at the turnover for Amazon, it's insane. And that's why they splash money so much. Because so many people come through the door and sometimes they're just going to do it for even a week because it's a quick paycheck, right? I've been in this since 1980. Some of the things you've said hit home very hard. If I want to know who my good employees on the floor are, I rarely ask a supervisor. I ask other employees, who would you work with? Have a hard project. Who are you going to pick on your team? They know, to your point, they know who the good workers are and they know the ones that are maybe not so good. Oh, you say promote from within. Agree? I don't want to take my best picker and all of a sudden have not a good supervisor. How do you make me feel comfortable that I'm doing the right thing there? If you look into the supply chain, you have a lot of unofficial leaders. And I think most of the industry call them lead, right? Lead is just a very good IC that people turn to, to onboard new employees. So these are the people that show leadership potential, right? If you think about the corporate world, I spent my life in a large corporation, one of the number one beverage company in the world. When I got promoted, I was put on the track to be promoted. I was a high potential. They invested in me and they grew me to some extent. Whereas supply chain often, because it's so fast paced, oh, I'm going to take my best speaker to lead the shift. But the way you have to think about it is not necessarily because it's a great IC, but they have to show leadership potential. Look at the group organizer. Look at the people that are community leader. Look at the person that is a helper. Like when you have a barbecue, when you have a team event, look at the person that is helping you organize. The only difference is that when you're going to start to promote, you have to look at different traits. And these are more the leadership traits, more the extrovert potentially or introverts. Like how do I approach a problem? Look at the problem solvers. Look for the helpers. Not the person that is scoring 115% on the hour of peaks. Maybe that's the right person, yes. But maybe that person has no intention of having a promotion. So don't be shy and ask, would you be interested in being promoted? Don't surprise them and say, hey, I'm going to give you a promotion now. Because sometimes they're going to say no. That's one thing. The other thing that people don't like to talk about is demotion. You got promoted. I realize you're not the right person. Maybe it's good for you to be back as an IC. Have this honest conversation. Because often, if that's the case, if you feel that the person is not well equipped to be a good leader, maybe they feel underwater. Maybe they feel that they're inadequate. And that's hurting their self-esteem as well. So have a conversation. Hey, how is leading your team going? Do you enjoy doing it? That's very important. Do you enjoy doing the work that you do? And sometimes they might say, you know what? No, I don't enjoy it anymore. I miss actually just clocking in, clocking out and just doing my work and not being have, having to worry about 25 other people issues. So I think one thing that has been very stigmatized over the past few years is that people want to be promoted really fast, but nobody speaks about sometimes you promote the wrong person and it's fine. Just have the conversation, open forum. And one thing I would say is if you have this conversation, if you feel that a manager or supervisor is not well equipped to do it, I can tell you, your other managers, your other supervisors feel the same way. And by you actually tackling it, you show leadership by yourself and you show them that you care for everyone because that person was not ready or maybe did not want to be a leader. So I think it's all about, again, positioning, framing, and yeah, sometimes you're going to flop big time by promoting somebody that is a terrible leader. But then you should be comfortable to have a conversation with them and say, hey, how can I help you? I can see that your shift is not performing well. I can see that you're not happy. What can I do to make your life better? 
Now, these type of conversations, because these are very, very mature, very adult conversations, can potentially be a minefield if not done correctly. Yeah. Is much of the program driven through, and you mentioned earlier, is most of this program driven through HR and they drive it for the organization? How does that transition go from Airfly AI to, let's say, Amware fulfillment? First, the people we sell into are operation leaders because we speak your language. We're going to dive into, okay, what's your turnover? What's your productivity metrics? And this is how we can help you to improve them. So you will be sold on the ROI. Now, on the deployment, this is when usually HR comes into the conversation because you're going to be dealing with people. So we have some customers, for example, when the day-to-day is actually managed by HR, but we have others actually the day-to-day is managed by operations and HR just comes into the coaching parts. So when we start working with Butterfly, we're not only a platform. Like One thing that we learn and the big difference between people that are only corporate is that we need to be there and be an extension of the team of our customer. So if you were to work together, you'd be assigned a team. Literally, there would be people, not a support at Butterfly.ai. You'd be someone working with you, first defining what we have to measure. Second, how do we train your managers and how we onboard them? I have to say, like in March, myself, we onboarded the new customers that did 18 states in five weeks. We just traveled with the customer because that's the best way for us to learn the business as well. No two warehouse function the same way. Some of them are dealing with chemicals. Some of them are dealing with food grade ingredients. Others are just dealing with boxes. So the requirement on the floor are all very different. For example, if you are dealing with perishable goods, you want to spend time about policies and safety. So you want to measure that. You want to make sure that people understand the safety measures that they have to respect. Same thing with chemicals. So we want to make sure that we understand the business the best we can. We onboard you first, but then we onboard your managers and your supervisors. And then we hold what we call office hours. So office hours, we usually do that on a quarterly basis where we do that with one customer. We try to restrain it by around, let's say, 50 managers. They drop in. We have a refresh on how to use a platform. But most importantly, this is a conversation with us. I have this issue on my location. Did anybody else have an issue like that? How would you approach it? What would you do? And what's the beauty of this conversation is because most of this conversation happens amongst each other and we are just there as a witness. Like I was with one a couple of weeks ago, a very large VPL. Our conversation was about how do I address comments about, I think it was about onboarding. And literally somebody said, oh, Simon, do you mind if I answer that question? It was another GM who just walk them through how they do it on their location. So often what we see is that our customers hold monthly meetings within the facilities, within the region where they start to exchange with each other. Another thing that we say is that share your dashboard with your team, show them what you see. Because often people feel that it's not really anonymous. People feel that you cannot do anything with the data. What we really focus on is make it as actionable as possible so that everybody benefits from it. But we will be there to help you every single step of ourselves, the relationship, and HR usually would come in, especially on the follow-up and the action planning to make sure that people don't feel at loss and there is some ownership in-house. I've gone through programs like this. It's always about relationships. I've done some of these in the early 2000s. I will say, number one, incredibly effective. But going in, I've done this twice. On both engagements going in, they told me, hey, expect 20% of your frontline managers won't make it for very, they don't embrace is there any going into this that history, historical has said, Harry, you may have a problem with 10% or 15%. Is there anything like that going into this program that someone like me should be aware of? Of course. The first thing is, if you don't care, nobody will care. So if you do it as a tick the box for yourself, nobody will care about it. If you 
really think about doing something like this and you really want to work on that and you show how important it is at the very highest level of the company, the others will care. So that's the number one thing. It's the same as the body, right? If the head doesn't turn, the body will not follow. You cannot ask people to care if you don't care. The second is, because we offer you full transparency on the activity of the managers, you will be able to see who cares and who doesn't care. Who are the managers that answer to the comments? Who are the ones that do connect? The ones that do not connect? And more often than not, you know these managers before. Now, some of them might be your best performers, right? Some of them might be running the facilities that have the best output, but then they're the facility that actually has the highest turnover because nobody enjoys working for them. Then you have to think about what's the equation you want to follow. You want to have the best warehouse with the best productivity metrics, but the turnover is 100%. Like you have the equation, you have the numbers, you can fill it in. Like is it worth it to have the best performing location, but I have to literally cycle through my whole workforce every year? So sometimes you're going to see managers that are not on board. And the reason why they're not on board is because often they say, I don't have the time. I know already what is happening. And the third reason is, this is not a priority. My job is to give you output. These are usually the number three, the three reasons we hear the most. But if you say, hey, take the time to do that. For the first six months, we'll be forgiving on productivity. As long as we can help out these other indicators, again, understand your costs, understand your business. If you see that turnover is going down, you are going to save in the bottom line. And ultimately, in the long term, your productivity will go up on par. That's the difference between a manager and a leader, right? The manager will do the things right, the leader will do the right things. Everybody have a mentality of a leader. I like that. Union, non-union make a difference? Yeah, it actually does. So we don't speak much about that, but actually one of the byproducts of Butterfly is reduction in union activities. I'm European, right? So the way we do unions back home and the way you do it here is very different. So for us, it was very like foreign land. But we started to see more and more with our customers, people from employee relations being involved. And the reason why is because they saw that one of the number one reasons people join unions is because they feel there is no communication or there is no transparency with the upper level. If you have a platform like Butterfly, that is literally a full-on transparent way for you to collect insight from whoever wants to give insight, you're already like breaking the first reason why people want to unionize, which is people don't listen to us. So... It's very unexpected. We didn't plan the product to do that, but a lot of the people we've been talking to are head of employee relations. Actually, I had a two calls this morning with two people with that title this morning and it's only on Monday because at the end of the day, if you care about your people, they'll give it back to you. If you don't care about them, they'll make you pay for it. Simon, where can people go to find out more about you and about Butterfly AI? Of course. So Butterfly AI is very simple. It's butterfly.ai. Everything is there online or you can find us on LinkedIn. We produce a lot of content that we share about the findings that we find with our customers, what we see in the market. And you'll see me roaming a few conferences with the rest of the team, but you can find me on LinkedIn. But if you want to reach out, I invite you to reach out on Simon at butterfly.ai. Simon is S-I-M-O-N at butterfly.ai. I'd be happy to take your call or your email. Some incredible ground we've covered today. Well, that does it for another episode of Unboxing Fulfillment, the modern B2C fulfillment podcast. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time. Thank you very much.